0: Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk
1: Flicks. Welcome to Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Back from watching... This isn't... I planned it to be... The Batman. And we're excited to be with you today, too.
0: supposed to go like this.
1: Apparently the Riddler himself is hanging out in the cell block next to me. I am Vengeance. And Now it's Batman hanging out in the cell next to me, or at least the space next to me. I'm Joel Hoover. I am Vengeance. And I'm Dave Brooks. <laughs> yes, I'm Vengeance. I figured that line would come up a few times today with our show. Welcome to the Rick and Nick Review of the Batman.
0: Part 2 two of the Double Bat Feature.
1: That's right. Yeah, we've been talking about Batman in general over the last two episodes of the podcast. Today, we are getting into the review of the Batman. This is something that we are going to be doing more in the future of this podcast, doing movie reviews, whether it's of movies that are out. That may occasionally happen where Dave and I are like, yeah, we both really want to see a particular movie that's out right now, or going back to some of the favorites that have come in the past, and doing reviews of them. We're going to be doing more of that in the future. Every now and then we'll be doing that, but we're going to start off with some current event stuff first, and of course, reminding you that Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater on Highway 2, just down from the airport. Great place to go catch a movie, and of course, you can support them by heading to the concessions. If you're not totally ready to head back to the theaters yet, but Dave and I were both there very recently. We've been there. I've been there multiple times to see the Batman, and Dave just went we last saw it twice, week. Right? I've seen it three times, three times. actually. Okay. Yeah, three times. So I have gotten my fill of the Batman, and I'm I'm ready to talk. You have gone more recently than I though, so we're we're locked and loaded and ready to talk about it today.
0: You we're gonna come with my wife and I. We just we couldn't find a day to make all three of it work right. out. So we, my wife and I, had date night, and you got to see it on your own. This is also a good time, even before we get into current events, spoilers. There are going to be spoilers coming as far as the Batman goes. So if you haven't seen it and you're not into the spoiler thing, let yourself be known now. We're going to let them rip-roar, and we're not going to uh, just, you know, there's more spoilers coming. We're giving you the heads up right now. Spoilers. Big thick, th- big, thick spoilers lay ahead.
1: Yes. If you have been to see the movie, though, really good place to listen to some feedback regarding it and the Rick and Nick stamp. On but, the Batman. But before we get into the Batman, let's talk a couple other current events. Well,
0: even though that is kind of a current event, it's currently up on the box office, near right? The top of the charts. So, but let's, talk, you know, we just had the Academy Awards also, and slaps or no slaps, it's always a big thing to talk about. Coda winning Best Picture. Yes. And it's on Apple TV. So, I, of course, I haven't seen it because I don't have Apple TV. So, neither do I. I'm not a big fan of the exclusivity in general. Not just movies. I don't like that you can only buy Coke in certain places and not Pepsi in other places and blah blah blah. So I don't want to have 12 streamers. So I'm not a big fan of that. But. But Coda still is.
1: was very successful. Got a limited re release in theaters across the nation to start this month after it won Best Picture. Coda wins Best Picture. Jessica Chastain wins Best Actress. Will Smith wins Best Actor. Will Smith slaps Chris Rock. (laughs) Very matter-of-fact. Yes. A lot happened on the night. And everybody is... The unfortunate thing out of all of this, Dave, is the simple fact that everybody is talking about that singular moment. They're not talking about who won. That's the disappointing thing out of it. Although they're talking about the fact that Will Smith won, but they're talking about the fact that Will Smith won after he decided to take a swing at Chris Rock after a joke of his regarding Will Smith's wife, Jada Pinkett Smith, and, of course, There's a lot to unpack from that regarding uh, just the status of their marriage and the way that that has been in the press so much over the course of the past year. Um, And then Chris Rock deciding to go with a joke that did not land well at all. There have been apologies on both sides. They have been belated. However, of course, Will Smith gave his acceptance speech, and it was just a bizarre Bizarre thing for everyone to watch and behold given all that had just happened less than an hour prior. When he not even twenty, thirty minutes prior. Now he's a vessel of love and peace
0: twenty minutes after he punched somebody in the face. It on just doesn't stage. land. No, no. Um yeah. Yeah, I I could think you could say a lot of people are in the wrong here, but uh, when you get that indignant that you're going to get up from your seat and you're going to go through that stop sign and get up onto the stage and walk through that stop sign, walk to the other side of the stage, go through right through those barriers, and literally swing back and hit them, you've got a problem. I, I'm a I'm a Will Smith fan, but I think Me I too. Have, I've lost some stock in that. I'm not going to lie. Uh, everyone can make mistakes, and I'm not certainly, I'm never going to watch a Will Smith movie. No, it's not like that. But he absolutely was in the wrong, and even in his apology was a lot of defense there and indignant in a lot of that defense also, and that just ain't cool. And then 20 minutes after you do that, the message is you get to stay and you get to an accepted award. That There needs to be accountability. He's not going to give it back. They're not going to ask for it back, and if they do, they better ask for Weinstein's back. They better ask for Polanski's back. They better get Woody Allen's back. That's not going to happen, so Will Smith will stay best actor but will he be kicked out of the academy? Well, he resigned first, so now they yes. won't kick him out. They might ban him for a while. He might I don't know if he'll be eligible or ineligible, but there needs to be some degree of accountability um, to some degree. And uh whatever that is. And uh maybe he doesn't get to go back anymore. Or if he does present, you have to apologize or something.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree, Dave. It's it's really disappointing. I'm I'm a Will Smith fan as well. I, I've loved The way that he's gone about his work, you know, and and people asked in the immediate aftermath, is this staged? I thought so too. Will Smith doesn't drop curse words in his music. That's when you knew it wasn't staged. Right. When he's saying some of what he did twice in response to Chris Rock sitting out in the crowd after he decided to do what he did. That's when you got an idea. All right, this is pretty real. If Will Smith is it, Will Smith is willing to do this, that that says a lot. It, it was it was really disappointing all around. Again, it's it's really disappointing that that again it overshadows a lot of the success of these movies that we're supposed to be celebrating on the night when you've got actions like that that are being taken and what he decided to do to respond. And I know there's there's been a lot of a lot of public attention focused on his marriage and, and all that's come with that and the pressure that that heaps on somebody I'm sure but um, disappointing just disappointing all around that that he went and did that for Chris Rock again I, I don't think comedians you know there's, there's often this this idea of immunity that's talked about with comedians I don't think I don't think they should totally have that kind of immunity sometimes it doesn't mean that that a person can go and respond the way that Will Smith did absolutely not But comedians sometimes try to hide behind a certain immunity on things like this. Now, again, to Chris Rock's credit, he did apologize after the fact regarding what he decided to do with all of that. But it it is a reminder of the fine line of comedy as well.
0: I I agree to a point, but I disagree also. Comedy is a way to say things in a way that is, I don't mean the First Amendment, I mean just enjoyable in a way. You can go back, they found a video of Will Smith on the Arsenio Hall show from the early 90s, making a joke about a member in his band who had alopecia. You know, whether you have alopecia, you don't have alopecia. Whether you have cancer and you're going through hair treatment, if you go out bald and someone points it out, if you didn't want people to know, get a wig, don't go out. There's a lot, there's 15 different better ways to handle it than that. But to say that you, you got to start censoring what you say depends on what the room is. The Academy Awards, you got to be cool, maybe a little risque, but not too much. You want to push it, but you want to be entertaining. To a point, it just it comes down to if somebody says something objectionable, we're going to stop the show. Now there have been other award shows. I can remember one. I think it was the Oscars before, where somebody wanted their Oscar back from uh, from Steve Carell. And it was kind of worked out in advance. Steve Carell had the Oscar with him, and so they ran down and snatched it from him. Or oh,
1: that was the Emmys. That oh, hey, the Ricky Emmys. Gervais okay. And yeah. Steve but that Carell. was fun, yeah. and that it was, was hilarious. That's
0: why nobody jumped on the stage. You figure, well, they've got something worked out. You didn't right. think it was going to be for real. And even after there was a hit, did he? Didn't he? But when you got the Effenheimers, then you know. But the bottom line, and we could certainly deep dive down this forever in a month. But again, we don't want to overshadow it. It was. I'm going to be on, if I got to be on one side or the other, Chris Rock didn't do anything wrong. You know, I've certainly heard a lot worse things, quote unquote, at award ceremonies. If that's the only thing we're going to limit it to, that was a very lame, tame joke. It was not common knowledge that his wife was suffering from some kind of affliction or whatever the case. I never heard about it before that. I I know what the disease is. I've got people near me that have it. I get it. Um, but I've seen also some interesting hairstyle choices throughout the years, and to make note of it, wardrobe decisions. It's it just is what it is. Besides, haven't we all had a year where everyone was pointing out your you know, wardrobe across your face? Maybe he was tired of you know, who knows? But you don't jump up on a stage and hit somebody. There no. is absolutely zero things you can say to defend it. It's just you're out. Automatically, you're out. You should have been taken if he was anybody. But Will Smith or somebody of his status, he would have been shown the door by two large burly men, and that would have been the end of it.
1: Right, and if you have a problem with it, take it up in a different way. You yeah. take it up with a person in a different way, just flat out, bottom line. So Moving on. Anyway, disappointing that that overshadowed the successes of others on the night. Um, Coda winning, big win for them and, and very successful. Um, a movie... I, I believe, from what I've heard, a, a pretty feel-good movie regarding um, growing up with with a deaf family, I believe, is what that's especially focused on with that movie. Yes? Yep.
0: Yeah. From what I understand, I haven't seen it. Like I said, there's a problem with the streaming and exclusivity. If you want to see a movie in the old days, you go to a theater that's showing it. That's it. You put down your $7 or whatever the cost is, daytime, nighttime. Uh, and go see it. That's that simple. But if I don't subscribe to Blah Bitty Blah Streamer, I don't get to see it. Right. I get it. But at some point, you need to open it up to some degree, especially if it's Oscars. Well, you should subscribe and see. I don't want to see anything except that one thing. Before that, it was the uh, Will uh, was the Tom Hanks submarine movie, Greyhound. Yep. Still haven't seen it. Yep. It's not available anywhere. It's been out for two years and it's not on DVD or anywhere else. At some point, come on, man, open it up. So when it comes down to you know the Oscars and all that, I get it. But at some point, you got to let it out. And so it had a very limited release. But Bemidji, Minnesota, is not exactly primo. You know, golden carpet being rolled out for the special preview for the Oscar blah blah blah. So I haven't seen it. So I'll I'll tell you what I think of it when I if I ever get to see it.
1: Bum bum <laughs> bum 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 bum
0: bum. bum. It All right, was a good soundtrack.
1: We're going to, we'll We're talk about there. that too. We're getting there. Let's, let's talk the Batman. Let's, let's get talk into it. about it. Here's, All right. Just for the both
0: of you behind the scenes now that aren't paying attention, and by I mean, that I mean Rick and Nick because they've never come to their show, basically. Hoove knows that I hadn't seen it and uh, I finally got around to seeing it. And I only would tell him that I liked it. He wants to know more. And I denied him the pleasure of hearing what I thought about the nuances until we got into the podcast. Whose leg is
1: shaking and trembling? Can't wait to hear. Well, you what haven't about heard, this? not heard about that. You haven't heard my full reaction. To I it know either. your reaction. So, I, but but <laughs> let's let's hear it from you, Dave. What did you think of the movie?
0: I liked it. Uh, I really liked it. Well, I it, know
1: that, but let's. you really liked
0: it. I really liked it, and it is a very different Batman than anything you've ever seen before. It literally takes its pages from horror movies, and I don't mean slashers. I mean, while Batman Begins had a theme, and it was fear, and yeah, the scarecrow brings a horror element, every little nuance of this movie is brought from some page of some horror, and some of it fairly well known, some of it from the Zodiac Killer, which is a real thing. It's also been made into a couple of movies. The first Dirty Harry movie takes pages from the Zodiac Killer. Um, the movie seven, Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt, it takes directly from that. The Riddler is like is no Jim Carrey version here, no Frank Gorshin version. This is sadistic. And the penguin, you, you gotta understand going in, it's Colin Farrell, but it looks like it looks like De Niro. You know, under heavy age prosthetics. I mean, the Take Batman it is easy, Batman.
1: Sweetheart.
0: Batman is Batman. Catwoman is the Catwoman. Alfred is Alfred. But you got a whole different Riddler and Penguin like you've never seen before. And everything around it is. Yeah, this isn't dark. Jim Carrey. No. This isn't Danny DeVito. No. This is uh, Frank. This is Kevin Spacey at the end of Seven. I mean, he's demented. This is uh, wrapped up with uh, the, the Zodiac Killer. This is messed up. But it's good. This is, you know, the Dark Knight. The Cape Crusader, he's got a lot of nicknames. And one of the originals is The World's Greatest Detective. And this is a very
1: noir, thinking person's, Batman, gritty, awesome. Did you like, then, with that in mind, you, you kept saying that phrase to me, World's Greatest Detective, in the build-up to this movie, because that's what you had Didn't heard. Didn't make it up. That's, that, just... that's what you had heard This this kind of attention and focus was going to be with this movie. So when Penguin says to Batman and to... Commissioner Gordon, world's greatest detectives. Like, like it it was some kind of joke. Did you chuckle or at least in your mind go "Ah," at that moment? Because it felt like a nod to that very idea.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of Easter eggs scattered all over Uh, the fact that I've never heard in any iteration of Batman before that. Martha Wayne, her maiden name is Arkham. Well, Arkham Asylum. You've never, ever connected those before. No, I didn't know I don't know if if that's canon from anything prior to this movie, or did the filmmakers decide to do that? I have no idea. I do not know, but we find out that Arkham Asylum is some way connected to Bruce Wayne's mom, Martha, whose maiden name was Arkham. So I don't know if that is something that has ever existed in Batman lineage prior to this movie, but you know, maybe it's something that they just decided, well, let's connect it. I, I, I don't know. But uh, as far as where the pages of this thing came from, you almost have to take a back step here because you go back, the most recent iteration of Batman is the, is the DC Universe where you had Ben Affleck in there. This movie originally started out as a standalone Batman movie with the DC Universe to some degree connected, written by, directed by, and starring Ben Affleck as Batman, and during the writing process, he would come up with a script, and for one reason or another, he got Matt Reeves involved, and then Affleck exited. And then on all levels, uh, Ben Re- uh, Matt Reeves decided, I'm going to restart this. I'm gonna- I-, I like what Affleck had done, but I want to go in a different direction. He started from scratch. We had to recast Batman, obviously, and it became a whole different thing. But that was the, the genesis of where this came from, and where it started and where it ended up was way, way far and apart from one itself. It was, But it was interesting. I really liked it. Um, it's like no other superhero movie I've ever seen before. Uh, obviously, they will take pages from this again because you know there will be another one. Um, but this is a big turning page. And the other one is, right off the bat, parents that are thinking about bringing their kids, this is a very hard PG-13. One more yes. little pinch of salt, so to speak, would be an R. Yes. Uh, it's not far. So you really need to think about your kids and what they're sensitive to and how they can handle because this is a little intense. Taking it directly from If they can watch Stranger Things and they're okay, okay, they, they might get a kick out of this. you know. But this is what it is. This is not one that you're going to make. You're not going to see a lot of toys on the shelves from this one. I don't think so. How could no. you do the Riddler? Honestly. I know. Exactly. He'd look like Steve Buscemi when they take him off the plane in Con Air. <laughs> <laughs> That's your Riddler character. It'd give me creeps just looking at him in the packaging. So you really liked it a lot.
1: I did take a sip of water. (laughs) I did. With bad
0: timing, I was getting a sip of water. I did. I really liked it. Um, I think I'll give you one of the reasons why I like this movie so much, just on a broad strokes thing. Why are you making this movie? If it's, we're going to try to make money, man, and we got crossovers with the Happy Meals and we got a toy line set up, why are you making this movie? Is it purely just to cash in on a bad movie, but you've got all these deals in place? Because they did that with Batman and Robin and almost killed the whole thing. Uh, you can make the claims as to how much damage Batman as a franchise got with the whole DC debacle. But then you get somebody who is very interested in doing something interesting with this. I want to do a good story. I don't want to make tie-in connections and blah 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 That's not what I'm making. it. If you want to do that, that's fine. You can piggyback that on top of what I'm doing, which is in no way going to. Could you maybe change this because the toy focus group doesn't blah blah, blah. To heck with that we're going to make the movie the way the movie needs to be done, and it's an awesome movie. And any other way that they want to market it, that's great, fine, and good, but we're not kotoing to making it easier for you to do that by adjusting the way the movie was done. Look at Batman and Robin compared to The
1: Batman. you got a whole different story here. I'll add another layer to that, and this goes into something that Marvel is dealing with right now. It was untethered when it came to D.C., in general. Oh, yeah. You're not seeing any kind of tie-ins to other DC projects in any way. Much like with with Marvel, you're getting tie-ins to other Marvel projects. And yeah, that that's fun for the fans in some ways, but this was a definitive standalone movie. And I love that about it. And you're not seeing them having to bow to any at least on the surface, not having to bow to any plans from from other heads within DC. This was a movie that was all about we're making this movie this definitive story and we're going to put everything we've got into it. And I loved it. I, I loved the movie. And if you are a Batman fan, this may be a definitive Batman movie. It's got that feel to it. It's got the gothic feel that we talked about in the last episode of the Tim Burton movies, except it's not as glamorized. As those movies were, especially they really doubled down on that in batman returns you don't you don 't get an overwhelming sense of that, but the whether it 's the architecture or the feel of of bruce wayne 's home or all of those different things you get that gothic Batman feel to it you get the detective feel that Bob Kane had with Batman in the original comics and the way that those stories were you you get very modern tones that are with it too, and yet that have this classical feel to it with the crime syndicate elements of the movie with Carmine Falcone, Penguin, and yet in a very modern sense with all of that. You get Batman still trying to figure out how to be Batman as well, which is how the movie opens and you see that permeate through the story. He's learning a lot, and yet at the same time, He's learning a lot. You know, and you you see that he makes mistakes. He's having to try to piece this together. It takes him a while to be able to get a sense of how to be able to solve this case. And having somebody like the Riddler in the middle of it makes for a great tale. You you get parachuted in, and and this was really cool too. I mean, you get parachuted in without needing the full backstory. And you get a sense that Gordon and the Batman have built a relationship. Over the course of the two years that that he's been Batman. You get a sense of the wear and tear that this is having on Bruce Wayne. And on Wayne Enterprises. And on his relationship with Alfred. You get a sense of the mind of Batman. Like never before. Especially with the voiceovers that are given at the beginning and at the end of the movie by Bruce Wayne. Played by Robert Pattinson. You get a sense of Batman's mind like you never have before, and Bruce Wayne's mind, like you never have before, and I thought that was a cool element too, you you get so many different stories influencing this story, whether it's the long Halloween, which is regarded as one of the great Batman tales ever, um, Batman year one plays an influence, the Dark Knight Returns is uh, is playing an influence a little bit here too. Um, you definitely see some influence from Batman Mask of the Phantasm, which we talked about in the last episode, that animated movie. You get elements of all those stories playing out in this story, and yet and yet, this is definitely its own definitive tale on its own. And you get a, you get a very, very quick start jumping right into the Riddler killing the mayor of Gotham City in the midst of a mayoral race. And, and suddenly he kills him, and then this com- this conspiracy starts to unravel before you where you see the corruption of Gotham City, and yet it's a sadistic killer who's bringing that corruption out into the open, and how Batman's got, having to try to figure all this out in the midst of all of that. So all of it made for a really compelling tale, if not long, it was lengthy but it just made for such a compelling story. and It didn't feel like a three-hour movie. Right, and yet I, I loved how thematically strong the movie was, too. The themes that permeate through the movie, a lot of which I just broke down there, are so good. And the transformation of Batman going from being vengeance to being a symbol of hope by the end of the movie, awesome. Because remember at the beginning, he he takes out that gang who who are are going in and mugging this gentleman who's getting off the subway. Batman sa- quote unquote saves him out of all that with getting running those guys off, beating them up. But that guy doesn't feel like he's been saved. He's petrified, going please don't hurt me. After you see just how much fear Batman strikes into criminals, he strikes fear into the common person too. Well, and the you get signal that sense too.
0: Isn't just Commissioner Gordon saying, "Hey, we need you, buddy." It itself is a beacon of fear. He could be behind any shadow, so you—it's a these, warning. Yeah, it's a warning, is what it is. Hey, he's out there on patrol. Whether that thing is you know shining tonight or not, he could be in any shadow. You don't know. So you see people ready to do some sort of a crime. Eh, maybe tonight, not, eh, no, not tonight, not tonight. So it kind of has worked. This, I thought, took a good page from the first 89 Batman movie with Michael Keaton. He's kind of new with this. He's not, you know, I don't know how long Michael Keaton's Batman had been Batman prior, but he doesn't have the relationship with Commissioner Gordon yet, so on and so forth. Um, but this one, it's the second year. He's still pretty new, and there's a lot of people in law enforcement, the cops that don't like this vigilante that's running around trying to quote-unquote be for the the good guys. But one of the things I really liked about this that I've seen problems in other Batman movies, and even to a point in The Dark Knight Rises, you've got three of the big heavy hitters from the rogues' gallery. you got the Catwoman and the Penguin, and you've got the Riddler. They do not feel like it's a battle royal for, the, for time, for a degree of the spotlight. It just works. It's a well-crafted movie where you have everything working, you can really feel it uh, I don't know if I'd give it a gothic feel while there are gothic elements. it's almost an angsty feel. Matt Reeves had said, and I could pick it up just by watching it, and even just the soundtrack, there's a Nirvana song that never really came out as a single, and in the weeks since that movie has come out, all of a sudden, Spotify and iTunes and so forth, this particular Nirvana song has gone crazy because people are getting it, yeah, and he was listening to that Matt Reeves was listening to that on a loop as he was coming together, angsty. You know, young, I feel the pain kind of version of uh, Robert Pattinson's version of Bruce Wayne. And we'll get to the cast here in a bit. But his version of, B- of Bruce Wayne, did you notice the ratio of Batman to Bruce Wayne? He was mostly Batman in that movie where any other Batman movie, he's mostly Bruce Wayne with some hiccups of Batman. And it get, when you get to the end and it really hits the fan, then it's all about Batman. But this was pretty much all Batman with a couple
1: of Bruce scenes. I'll take it to another level, too. Batman was in almost every scene of the movie as well. Just about every one. Now, it starts out where he's not in it when Riddler kills the mayor, but he's in just about every scene from that point on. Very important piece, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. He really did, uh, as a character... Uh, an excellent job to serve the story. Um, this was very well served, and you could tell that somebody, this was not made by committee. This was Matt Reeves, and I, I don't know if there's anything that Ben Affleck had done, writing-wise, that made it into the final story. I, I don't know that the full backstory there. We'll find out at some point, but this was generally Matt Reeves crafting this thing from start to finish, as best we know today. And you could tell it was in his hands and he wasn't getting memos from the studio. And if he was, he was ignoring them or they were, for the rare time in Hollywood history, good memos. Uh, But this was very (laughs) well crafted from start to finish. Uh, Whether it leads to something else, you could certainly see it getting there. But this was not set up for anything other than an entertaining movie, and if it should ever tie in with anything else DC, I think that's the way the DC movies need to work. I'll give kudos to Marvel and how intricately woven this is, and when they do focus on an individual character, it is very much about that character. I mean, I think every Captain America movie almost serves like an Avengers point five or whatever. But uh, a lot of those are really his own story. And however DC decides to do it, and I know everybody sees what Marvel has done. Oh, man, I want to do that too. Star Trek wants to do that. DC wants to do that. It doesn't matter if you do it. If you do it poorly like the Dark Universe, Universal wanted to do with the monsters, it really didn't work from the get-go with the mummy and they abandoned it immediately. But if you can do a movie like this And whatever they're going to do for Superman moving forward, whatever they're going to do for Wonder Woman moving forward, they're all aware of one another. They don't need to be part of a Justice League and then this is just the one where he's on his own. Maybe they're all doing their own individual thing, but when that thing arrives that is so big that everybody needs to join forces, fine. They've all done their own thing. What's to say they can't come together every once in a while? If pro wrestling can do it, then the DC Universe can do it.
1: In theory. In In theory. Yeah. 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 Any other definitive thoughts that are, are coming to mind on the movie before we get into some of the specifics? Because there's quite a few questions slash different specifics to focus on.
0: You know, people have problems, and we've talked about it before, where it's too much fan service. It was too much service to the fans, and it, it wasn't do- – I don't care if it's done right then you've got a great example of how to do that with The Batman. This is a very original story. It takes elements from other things before, obviously. There are little nuances that are in there that'll, you know, I'm not, I don't want to give away the Easter eggs either. Well, I probably didn't pick up on most of them either. I've only seen it once. I'm sure there's nuance that escaped me. So when I see it a second or third time, I'll probably pick up on stuff that I didn't pick up on before. But there's, there's things out there. Um, just excellently well done. I like the fact that this worked out well, which makes me nervous for the next one. Well, if you did it this way the first time, he could do it again, and that's when you start to see all these cooks get into the kitchen. I wish he would be like my mom when he was cooking. Everyone, out, out, out. I got this. I made all these Christmas dinners before. You can get out and let me do it again. That's what Matt Reeves, if he's in for the second one, and it sounds like he will be, uh, that's what he needs to do. If funny enough, he already had to jump on board of this and get way ahead of the train. Joker will not be in the next one. There will not be a Joker in the next one, whether that holds true or not. I don't know, but that's what he's saying. Um, so clearly he's already got, whether it's fan pressure, whether it is, um, and I'll tell you another thing real quick that jumped out at me. I'm not hearing any degree of fan backlash at all about anything. And I can't think of anything that they would, but that's a good point how much? How many times have we seen whatever franchise and so-and-so does such-and-such and, such and the fans flip out about it? I'm not hearing anything about anything from anybody. And this is good, which also tells you a message that if you do it right, you do it right. Fan service is one thing, but going into a bold direction, this is where we're going to go. This is what we're going to do. We're not going to go left or right based on what the fans think we're going to do. We're going to do our thing. But if we stick out a pinky to give a little fan service, Easter egg, something or other, then we'll do that. And I think it was a absolutely well-served masterpiece from the get-go. And Matt Reeves, Cloverfield, I like what he did there. I like when he got involved with the Suicide Squad and the elements that he brought there. It was pretty good. He's got some good body of work. Uh, this is fantastic. I think so far to his career, this is his, his
1: masterpiece thus far. Let's see if he can trump it. Exactly. That's going to be the challenge now because this was – an awesome starting point. So let's talk characters. Before we do characters, yeah. this
0: will be a segue into the characters because in a way it's its own thing. Batman, in depending on the movie or the show, has got all kinds of toys. He's got the Batcopter. He's got the Batcycle. He's got the Batboat. He's got the whatever. He's got a motorcycle he uses a lot in this that doesn't really look anything more than just a motorcycle. But the Batmobile has always been its own kind of character. And, I mean, the last time we saw it, it looked to some degree of like a tank, more particular with the Dark Knight trilogy. The Tumbler, yeah. Even Affleck looked kind of like a, a slightly scaled-down version of the tank, but it was a tank. This one is a straight-up car that's nothing really all that special. Back in the comic books, he just had a regular <laughs> nothing special car so he could travel stealthily. This is kind of like that, but it also is almost like the Stephen King Christine. It's almost a horror character when he's chasing down the penguin. It is almost a frightening scene with the way the headlights go and the way that this thing looks. It is an intimidating, but it's not a tank, kind of a batmobile. Two things. Number
1: 1, you never see the car fully. It's always True. dark. It like it, it's out in the dark or it's covered up by a blanket in in um the lower bowels the bat of, cave. of the batcave. Yeah, it's it's covered by a sheet. So you you never see it like I was trying to find like a Matchbox version of it when I was like in a store one time, and I, I couldn't find anything that really resembled it because we don't get a full visual of it, which I thought was a-, a neat little wrinkle on that. Number two, I'll disagree with you slightly because, yes, it's got the look of a normal car, but it's a tricked-out normal oh, car yeah. that's oh, got yeah. a turbo booster in the back and is a little bit higher up with its elevation of the, the wheels and such. It's conceivably powered enough yeah it's powered enough and it it seems like yeah it was it was just extra elements added on to a normal car which i did like a lot i like that they went back to some of the more simplistic roots of batman's vehicular travel in that way it's not this um really uh stylistic looking car that that we have in the the first four Batman movies of the late 80s and then into the 90s, and it's not a tumbler like in the Dark Knight trilogy. It's something a little bit more akin to how it was from the very beginning. So I I like that you noticed that.
0: One of the things I'd said about particularly Batman Begins with Christian Bale's version, uh, I mean, if you're Bruce Wayne and you own basically Gotham's version of Microsoft and they got all kinds of stuff and you've got all these toys, some that are on books, some that are off, so you steal some elements for your own personal evening events. This is a lot more, uh, he should almost have a reality garage show about how you can trick out your own cars. That's what is this version, a very angsty version. He knows his stuff, uh, that kind of thing. Even his outfit, the Batsuit, looks like it's utility armor rather than a costume. You know, some of the Batmobiles are very pretty, but they don't look like they would hold up worth anything if you were to really go diving down the streets. If you've ever seen what a real car chase looks like on TV, most of the Batmobiles I've ever seen in these movies, there's no way. I mean, something's gonna break off. There's no you don't want that hanging out there. Well, how can you possibly make a turn? But you believe it in the Tumblr, you believe it in this one. Uh, this is a much more gritty, much more reality-based... I could see this, maybe, if some guy had the resources and the money to do it and to just do it himself. This looks very realistic as a possibility.
1: It's not quite as medieval of armor as the Batfleck version was, but it's a little bit more slimmed down, but it's still armor. And there are still some modern slash futuristic kind of things that are added. For instance, the what they have with the contact lens and being able to put that in to be able to take video of things, which I thought was, was kind of a clever element to the detective side of what he's trying to do and the way that he can use that to remember everything, especially because you get the sense that he's just exhausted there when he's talking about all his work. I, another neat thing I like, too, the filing, the journaling that he was doing, talking about it. You know, he's got a year two file there as well, talking about... I think it's even described as the Gotham project that he had there, talking about the the planning that went into this is how... This is why I'm doing this. This is what I'm going to do with be, being able to take copious notes. It's almost like on all you this.
0: imagine he thinks he's going to get arrested at some point. Well,
1: what were you thinking? Well, here's the Gotham file project. I didn't consider that. Yeah, yeah. Th- or that element of it. But you, you still get the vigilante part of part of him that that gets reflected in how the police treat him. You know, when he comes into the crime scene there for the mayor, and and there's Martinez going, "Whoa, hey, you're not allowed here," but but then there's Gordon and and he he's able to to get him back in there although they they have to work kind of off the books a little bit and they have to work kind of behind the scenes anyway Gordon going out essentially on his own working with the batman at that certain point because the the cops have got a hit out for him after he he gets taken in there um following all that happened with uh, the DA and him being there in the um in the uh in in the cell there and and having to pull that escape off too. Which speaking of some of the practicality, there's there's none of the there's none of the gliding elements that you get. Although they they found some ways to be clever with it in the Dark Knight trilogy of of the technology that allowed him to be able to glide in and do things like especially in the Dark Knight during the the Hong Kong scenes. Um, with some of the elements that they add in there and the explanation of them. But there's none of that there as he's diving off a building, and you even see him have to take a gasp and be like, oh, man, I'm really about to to pull out this... Um, th- this flying suit. Yeah, this flying squirrel, flying, flying suit kind of setup where he's not clearly done it very often because he wipes out spectacularly at the end of that. But... Um, but he sticks you, the you landing, but how do you too. stick
0: a landing in something like that? I think he did as good as you could do. I, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, it was uh it was one of those where whatever his resources from Wayne Enterprises are, they're not as front and center as they are in the Dark Knight trilogy or anything else. So but this is a good segue into the characterizations here. Yes. Let's start at the top of the mountain. Let's start with a brand new Batman, uh Bruce Wayne with uh with Pattinson who is probably at this point best known for doing the twilight movies he did a lot of art house movies and then he did tenet and it was funny that even nolan was like there's no way he's you know or actually it was reeves like there's no way he's going to do this movie he's done a bunch of art house movies and then he just did a nolan movie with tenet and now he's going to do batman and nolan who had just finished with batman now has got the new batman on his show and do about it and, you know, didn't say
1: anything, but that was pretty cool. But how
0: would you think he did?
1: How do you I w- think he did? I was not worried when he was cast as as Bruce Wayne. I really wasn't. I mean, I, I thought he's done such good work since Twilight. I don't think there's reason to be concerned here about what he's going to do. And I, I thought he was tremendous. Like, giving a, again, that, that word, angst, giving that, that, pained Bruce Wayne kind of feel taking it beyond the Michael Keaton version even even further taking it beyond elements of what we saw with Christian Bale's version taking it beyond that as he's trying to figure this out and he's clearly making his way along somewhat alone in the world although Alfred joins him to more or less but he's I mean you get the sense that this is really weighing down heavily on him and and he he portrayed that really well and yet he displayed strength really well and displayed that learning component that i talked about earlier he's clearly still learning how to do this how to balance it clearly he's not doing a great job of it in some respects i mean alfred coming in chastising him about the fact that bruce that wayne enterprises is, is not doing great bruce wayne needs to take account for That side of all of this, and he's still figuring out how to try to do all of that. So I thought he portrayed it really, really well.
0: Another wrinkle: uh, it's always been the in the Batman mythos that you know Thomas and Wayne and uh, Martha Wayne they die. And it depends on what you're reading or what you're watching as to what the story is. Right. But in this case, it was the only time that you ever saw them to some degree, maybe implicated in something criminal. Possibly, uh, was Thomas Wayne all that great? Was Martha Wayne all that? You've never seen anything like that. It's always dear old mom and dad. They were gunned down or whatever. Poor Bruce, and this is you know got him into a schism and that. Starts, but that, that gets, that gets man, called into question. Yeah, it gets called into question this time. That's the only time, to my recollection, I've ever seen anything even like that. That was interesting, and watching uh, how he did that, and so you're not just seeing the pain of it; you're also seeing trying to rectify. Mom and dad, they're always going to be perfect in my eyes, but maybe not. So you're seeing the pain and you're also seeing trying to come to terms with more than just the loss. And watching Pattinson try to work that into the characterization was pretty good too. Uh, so it was definitely good. Um, it's too early to, you know, just to say where do you think he fits into the echelons of uh, the Batmans. I've, maybe we'll do a talk about that at some point, but I think it's too early to say. But I certainly would say I don't know if I would say he's the best, but he's absolutely not the worst. Uh, he's very, very good for what they were doing and that version of Batman. Uh, You would be hard-pressed. You had to restart. You had to get somebody newer and younger. They did a great job with him. They really, really did. And we'll talk a little bit more about Zoe Kravitz here in a minute, but those two apparently behind the scenes have been friends for a long, long time. And you can see that that chemistry between the two of them where Batman and Catwoman kind of strike up a a friendship more or less that might, you know, border on romance. And that's kind of always been a thing with Batman and the Catwoman. But it's always been kind of something off putting. It was almost like the geek guy dating the popular girl. There's no way she really likes you. You know, it's that kind of vibe. But you're getting a different vibe this time. And maybe that's just the, the real life, not relationship, but, you know, their friendship in real life between the two actors. Yeah. Maybe it's that. But I mean, it, it really, really worked. And the way that he goes from brooding to almost big brotherly to more than big brotherly it's just, it was an interesting dynamic and always has been but i think they really pulled it off
1: yeah he showed he really cared about her even yeah. even just in in trying to figure out who she was that he he was fascinated by her i think is the word and then it just developed into more of a working relationship and trying to ensure her safety in the midst in the midst of also trying to deal with all of this because he could tell that that she cared about the people around her, and had her own agenda, even if her agenda was clouded to an extent. Well, and even
0: him keeping her on track, her way was to kill who she thought she needed to kill, and he was saying, don't do it, this isn't the way— you know, you might, and you've heard this throughout a lot of different things. Sure, you know, it's just it takes a place. You saw that in Batman Forever, where Chris O'Donnell's Robin is going to go get the Riddler. Uh, not this way. This isn't the way to do it. And then you just kind of see how it ultimately makes. It but way, there's work a lot through. more depth in yes. this
1: case, and we'll get into that more with with Zoe Kravitz here in a minute. But first, let's talk Paul Dano's Riddler. What do you think? You know, I'll admit I. I'm not that familiar with Paul Dano.
0: He's been in uh, a couple of things, that a lot of things. Either I saw and just didn't. He didn't stick out to me. I just watched There Will Be Blood, or I haven't seen that one, or uh, I'm not just. I'm just really not familiar with him at all. Which, in a lot of ways, is a good thing because you're starting with a blank slate. So it's not like, oh boy, I can't wait to see what Schwarzenegger is going to do with Mr. Freeze. You know, you just don't care. But in this case, I don't know who Paul Dano is. But I'm hearing from everybody this is going to be good. There's going to be. Some echoes of Heath Ledger and what he did with the Joker, but also it's a whole different thing and various different versions of the Riddler. The last time we saw the Riddler was Jim Carrey and Batman Forever. It was way over the top, jokey, funny, and he was sinister, but you know, in enjoyable. Frank Gorshin famously on the TV show, and that's about all we've ever seen from the Riddler. This is a whole different kind of Riddler. This is something directly out of a out of a Fincher. Crime drama. This is uh, God, a serial killer. Yes, this is this is uh, the killer from Seven with the Zodiac killer rolled into it. Yep, this is dark. This is like no Riddler you've ever seen, and in a lot of ways, don't ever want to see again because it's unsettling. But in all the right ways, as a movie fan, this was, and it worked. You, I don't think you can go down that. That trail, only so often before, it's just stale and, okay, who's going to do the better version of the Jim Carrey take of the Riddler? Because even that was a step up from what Frank Gorshin was doing. This is a whole other thing. And it was absolutely sinister. If you think of the John Doe character from the movie Seven as laying out all kinds of riddles to Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt, this is what that is. Honestly, it's dark. It is dark and it is sinister and it's not afraid to go to places where you, oh my gosh, they did go there, you know. Um, and some of the videos are disturbing. Even as you know, they're a movie. It's disturbing, kind of like the videos that Heath Ledger's Joker had done in The Dark Knight, which Heath Ledger himself filmed. It'd be interesting to find out if Paul Dano directed himself in those videos. Who knows? Um, but it was dark. It was disturbing and in all, it hit all the right notes, but it made your skin crawl, which serves the story quite well but it makes you kind of creeped out at the same time. That alone gives parents definite cause to think, do I bring my kids to see this? Are they ready to see this? Paul Dano, I have not been familiar with before, but I won't
1: forget him since. He did a great job. Definitely. And if there are comparisons to Ledger's Joker, I understand. There's probably some similarities with the outbursts, with the the sadistic nature of some of the stuff that he was doing and and the extent to which he did it You know, using video and going through social media channels in some ways but but it felt more it felt more planned like like it was a more structured version of Ledger's Joker in some ways like he he had more of a plan in mind even though this this is clearly a madman who who you have here with the things that he's deciding to do and how he's putting it all together and thinking it all through just a a lunatic who who's at the same time a very smart lunatic. Well, it's it's there's a
0: difference between the characters and just how they are from the get-go. Even Heath Ledger's version of the Joker, do I look like a man with a plan? I just do things. You know, this guy clearly has got a plan, and it's more than what you think it is. He plans to get caught. He plans to get put away. And uh, then, well, he, the Joker did plan on those things too. He, he but did he, too, but he, he's he just not gonna sells care. it
1: as way more yeah sporadic and he's, erratic.
0: He's got his own little Riddler army, if you want to call him that, that are going to basically do the main event for him in a lot of ways. Uh, and so it just works the way that it goes. And using social media, there are echoes in a way, in a real thin way that could mirror stuff that goes on in this day and age.
1: Speaking of mirrors, I, I thought that's one of the things that they did really well with portraying with. With Danos Riddler is you you have divergent paths with Bruce Wayne's Batman and and this this Riddler character and and who he was I forget I forget his name the um, Riddler it, well his his name name but you you have one who who goes the direction of his pain becomes fueling his vigilanteism but also fuels his vengeance and you have another who whose pain fuels. Wanting to make things right by going a criminal route, and yet you see the you see the breakdown between vengeance being used for quote unquote good, and yet at the same time, the Riddler puts a mirror up to Batman and says, "Look, I I have become you using that very same motivation." vengeance. Vengeance against all those of the corruption of Gotham with that Gotham fund, that fund that was talked about that that the Wayne, that the Thomas Wayne had created and how those who were corrupt within the city of Gotham had used that fund for their own purposes, for their own doing, for them to be able to fuel their own greed. And then same thing with that takedown of Salvatore Moroni. They used that simply as a means to be able to corner more money into their circles, whether it was people who were public facing or those who were on the CD or crime side and the tenuous relationship that they had built between them. And how the the pain that the Riddler felt from being a victim of all that, it fueled his his version of version of being a vigilante and setting things right and his vengeance. And he justified it by way of Batman using his own vengeance. So, the way that they portrayed that and set that up, I thought was was really really masterfully done for for setting up themes, for setting up motivations, for setting all of those things up. Did he run similar in some ways to to the Joker as as Ledger portrayed it? again? Yeah, it, it maybe in some ways too, but but I thought they they set up a character who was pretty well motivated and pretty well set up. Um yeah, maybe they maybe they went a little far with with um you know, having in him singing Maria and all those things. Like, you know, maybe maybe that was all added a little bit extra in there as far as breaking down hinge, who he was. It but, yeah, it, it really portrayed the, the unhinged opposite of Batman as far as what will vengeance do for you.
0: And even more so than that, you know, you see at the end of the movie that they may have a similar background. They were both involved in similar things. And you're kind of led to believe for a moment that the Riddlers figured out that Batman and Bruce Wayne are the same, only to find out that, it isn't the case and he's actually trying to implicate batman bruce wayne as you know we didn't get the guy we really wanted we were really going after bruce wayne and we didn't and you were in on it with me as batman's like nope i nope had nothing to do with that that was i you don't know what you're talking about so you think that he's going that way but it's also you start from similar areas and how bad events in your past can fracture you off into completely different paths yes they're almost trying to accomplish similar goals but, you know, you, while Batman, you could say, is much more strategic and surgical and plucking out individual elements, you've almost got um, the Riddler taking on almost a god persona with a flood to wipe out pretty much everybody in Gotham City, you know, similar to Noah, I suppose you could say. Um, and all you guys will be above everything else, and they're
1: all going to gather into these places, and you're going to shoot them like fish in a barrel. And and it did frame some of what we've seen in in real life in the yeah. modern day of this... Well, what we've seen all throughout history of just of insurrection and the way that that somebody like that can create insurrection among others who are fed up and tired of things and the way that he used social media to fuel that and what it led to with the climax of of the breaking of the levees, the flooding of Gotham, and then this this attack on on pretty much all the rest who are left there in in. um. What was it? Gotham Square Garden. Their version of Madison, Madison, Square, version Garden, of Madison yeah. Square Garden. Yeah, and um, the way that that it's all set up to be able to come at them in in that way, and and the way that he used other people's frustration against the ruling elites of Gotham and their corruption, and the way that they set that up to to be in that that climax of the finale.
0: And the interesting thing part is, you can't say it's art imitating life or life imitating art. This movie was being made when like January sixth happened. I mean, they were in, they had just started filming it. Uh, It's not like it got worked into the story later. This was always going to be the case. And then they almost simultaneously happened. The filming of the movie and the most recent insurrection. It's very interesting. that that, It's almost like everybody was kind of catching on to the same vibe, but they just went different ways. One did it for
1: real and the other just did it for a movie almost simultaneously. It's interesting. Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman slash Selena Kyle. What did you think?
0: Great job. She really did. It's uh, I can't say it's... Second time she has played some kind of yeah. superhero role after Not just First super... Class from the X-Men. Not just that. She actually voiced Catwoman in Lego Batman. Really? Yes. Okay. And she was one of the X-Men. She was Angel in the first yes. X-Men uh, First Class movie. Um, so, of course, Lenny Kravitz's daughter and Lisa Bonet's daughter... She's picking up a pretty good career. She's gone some pretty good directions. She, I can't say that this Catwoman is night and day very different from others that have come before, but they're not all the same cut from the same cloth. She's not the same version of Anne Hathaway's character or Michelle Pfeiffer's character or Lee Merriweather or any of the rest in the old days. She's very much her own kind of version of Catwoman with a lot of similarities, but it's not all about sex appeal, which is generally, which has always been very much a part of Catwoman. Um, she Almost seems to be a little bit more like Halle Berry's version of Catwoman, but in a much better story. I think Halle Berry would have been better served in that role if it was anything good of a story at all. Right. But she's very much street, street smart. She can take care of herself as she reminds everybody. <laughs> um, yes. But, yeah, she's very, very capable. And she's, yet her
1: motivations are cloudy. Yeah. And, and you you see that on full display. You, you want to get behind her and her reasoning for some of the things that she wants to choose to do. But you can't because you can see that she is wrong in the way that she's trying to go about setting wrongs right. Even at the end of the movie, it's displayed that way. She's like, come with me. Let's get into some trouble. Let's go knock off some corporate people.
0: Yeah. No, I like where you're starting and then you lose me at a point. Um, but, you know, conflicted characters can make for great characters, and that's exactly what she did here. She played it very, very well. Yeah. She's very much a sympathetic character, and when people are doing bad things, you need to have, in the case of an actor actress, somebody that's very, very skilled to pull that off so you still root for them. It's just not that they're, they're not entirely perfect on the way they want to see it through. Zoe did a great, great job in the role, and again, hearkening back to her real-life, behind-the-scenes friendship with Robert Pattinson, it served the characters very well. You could tell that while they're not on the same page, there's enough connecting them and bringing them together that it works. It crackles because they're pulled together, but they're also repellent at the same time from their different ideologies. Um, it really, really worked. I was impressed with her take on the role. It was it was sexy, but it wasn't over-the-top Michelle Pfeiffer sexy, who was a great role in Catwoman, don't get me wrong, but uh, she was much more matter-of-fact. You might be attracted to her, but there's no way you're ever going to get her. She's the popular Carol, and I'm the geek. There's no way it's ever going to happen, but it might.
1: Yeah, and you get her motivations maybe a little bit narratively built in with with the connection to carmine Falcone that they that they created in there but it it created a compelling reason for why she wanted to take vengeance in the way that she was choosing to and the way that she wanted to go about it so um, I, I like how she calls, batman vengeance in that same way too come on vengeance let's do this like she's trying to appeal to who he says he is and again there's that theme over and over again it that wasn't just a line dropped in for the sake of being a memorable line at the beginning of the movie when when he beats up those street thugs and he says i'm vengeance everybody uses that somewhat against batman throughout the movie Catwoman uses it. That one guy in in the Riddler's Minions says yeah. that same thing. It, it, they use that as justification throughout the movie. She even tries to use it too. Really, really well put together, and you she know. she played the role great. It, it was it was really good. You know, I'll say this about this, and this was this isn't so much for Zoe Kravitz
0: as much as it was the filmmakers. There's a lot of expectations put on a lot of these characters, but if you're talking about the Rogues Gallery, first place has got to go to the Joker. Second, when Catwoman, as far as expectations as to what the character needs to be, and it seems like Catwoman always needs to just exude sex appeal, and Zoe Kravitz and the character they do that naturally. And that's not the part that's ramped up. That's just automatically there. Let's make this a good character. Let's make her do this. Yeah. Let's make her street smart. She doesn't have to wear, you know, the sex clothing and the, and the cat suit, so to speak. But she's wearing an outfit that's, you know, like that. But I mean, even when Anne Hathaway showed up, well, she's yeah, got to have the ears. Well, she had the little goggly things that looked like, no, it's going to be ears. Zoe Kravitz isn't wearing any special mask. She's basically wearing a ski hat with holes cut out. Yep. And she happens to have something up underneath the thing that kind of looked like ears. It's not exactly playing into fanboy expectations but it works and the, and the way that the, the character was designed regardless of who the actress was it was well designed so don't even so that call when he, her Catwoman she just has
1: cats that's at that's true yeah. she
0: don't, they don't even have the name Catwoman she did a great job but it was also well designed and it was the one thing that I think could really trip up this movie it was so well designed as a character that it played up what you'd expect to a point and then it went into its own direction and it was executed very well by Zoe Kravitz uh, very well done from start to finish Colin Farrell as Oz. You almost need to know that it's Colin Farrell going in. (laughs) Or maybe it's better to not know because you'll never guess that it's Colin Farrell. Oh, man. It looks like De Niro wrapped up in a lot of fat latex makeup or whatever. He, uh, Colin Farrell. Transformation. Oh, yeah. here You got to talk about a guy that was the sex appeal of Hollywood maybe 15 years ago. Kind of fell off the map a little bit, some personal issues. But, boy, he does have amazing talent. Uh, from phone booth to other things, uh, he is very, very good. And you'll never believe it's Colin Farrell if you yeah. didn't know going in. Colin Farrell, he was in the movie when you watched the end credits. What? Yeah, he really was. He did a great job. And he's certainly not front and center. He's almost on the peripheral. It's almost like a glorified cameo, really, is what it is. But he pops up occasionally. Because he's
1: in Falcone's crew. He's a member of that mob unit. He plays a big role, and you see that with his status that he has in that club. But minutes on screen,
0: I don't know what it is. It seems like maybe 15 minutes total scattered throughout the movie, but they're memorable. When he shows up for three minutes here and three minutes there, it kind of stacks up to a memorable
1: 15 minutes. He makes an impression. And the dance that he and Batman play out throughout the movie. I mean, the, the the kind of protection that he has being in that mob status and yet that Batman's still coming after him in many respects, but he knows how to be able to tap dance around it um, and the attitude that that he exudes within it too. They, they took that character and did such a great job of making him truly a part of the crime syndicate and bringing out the crime syndicate element of Batman even more than the Dark Knight trilogy had done. And I loved that they made that a big part of, of those movies. It felt like it was an even bigger part of the story in the Batman and the way that it played a role in creating and feeding the corruption of Gotham's officials and how tied in they were with that mob underworld and the penguin, the penguins role within that and how he played a part. Um, I love too, with, uh, the, um, the, the bit of Spanish when they were, when they were going back and forth on, on all of that and him, him pointing out the quote-unquote mistake that he felt Gordon and, and the Batman had made as they were trying to trying to figure out the bird without wings. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh, I think the last time we saw the Penguin was Danny DeVito in Batman Returns back in
1: '92. rata, that's what I. Was yeah, uh, there you go. Yeah.
0: Uh, this was a a very very different version of the Penguin as well. This is not the version that was almost like a mutant. Oswald Cobblebot that DeVito had done. This is also not the Burgess Meredith from the old 60s version. This is like nothing that's ever come before. This is almost like, uh, like I said, it, it looks like De Niro and it acts like De Niro from like Goodfellas. Is what this version of the penguin is. He doesn't really have the penguin, uh, a lot of the penguin. Uh, what do you want to call it? The the touchstone hallmarks. He's not wearing the monocle. He's not got the little cigarette holder. Wah, wah, that kind of stuff isn't happening. He's not surrounded by birds, but yet at the same time there are a couple of elements that if you read in a little deeper, yeah, oh, okay, I see. You. It's it's a different version of the penguin, but it's yeah. uh, it works for what it is. It's done in a realistic, not hammy
1: cartoony kind of way it works el rata alada that's what i was looking for there the rat without wings yeah speaking of let's let's stay quickly with the the crime syndicate um, side of things with john torturo i was about to say you got
0: you gotta go there you know falcone is in the comics and you never seen him in the big screen until batman begins with uh tom oh wilkinson Is that who did it in Batman Begins? Yes, I believe so. That's, I think, the only time you've ever seen Falcone on the big screen. Now, I thought he did a great job as just some random bad guy. Uh, And I'll tell you, Turturro is such a quirky, uh, very well-known for a lot of the Coen Brothers movies. Um, But this is, I think... But also
1: known for Transformers. Yes,
0: true. But this is the one movie I think I've ever seen him in where he really plays it straight. It's not... Quirky, and it's a comic book movie, so you'd think he could go into some kind of quirky thing. He really kind of doesn't. This is the most straight, so to speak, character that I've ever seen Turturro play, and he does it in a very good way. It's almost like he enjoys his role. He knows what the dance is. He's not under the pressure. He's just doing the dance. He's just doing the steps. And even when, like we said, spoilers, you find out that he is the father of Catwoman. It's, you know, it's almost as if he knows the whole time and they've got that dance, you know, well, maybe I'll, you know, bring you under the wing, so to speak, kind of idea. But they never really find that way to hit it off. And he's the puppet master really in a lot of ways, but he's, yeah. it was just, it was well done. It was, it wasn't any, you could tell he wasn't doing heavy lifting because he was so good at what he was doing. It seemed effortless And the, and the role that he did and the role that the character plays in the story, both. It's just, ah, oh, that's the. Going to go through the motions, so to speak, but it works. It looks
1: so effortless. I have one word that comes to mind when I when I kick off talking about the next character, Jeffrey Wright as Lieutenant Jim Gordon. The word is involved. You you get Lieutenant Gordon as involved as we've seen, and yeah, he's involved quite a bit in the Dark Knight movies. And and I loved the portrayal in the Dark Knight movies that we get from Gary Oldman there. But I, I liked with Jeffrey Wright's version of Lieutenant Gordon that. He is super involved here. He's with Batman a lot working through this stuff and and trying to figure it out. I love how they built they have the relationship already established. You get that in the dialogue that they have together and how Gordon is just like, you gotta be kidding me. With, uh, you know, getting caught up in, in to the degree that, that he is with with working with Batman on this stuff and some of what it leads them into, like the thumb drive, it, thinking of that scene and how that kind of reflects the relationship that they've built by now. The trust that's been established with the way that Batman is able to make the escape from the cell and then meeting up with him later. You kind of wonder if Gordon's almost going off the books with creating the signal as well because, Batman's still being treated as a vigilante by the police force. And you see that with the heads of the police, like uh, the police, the commissioner, all of them. They're just like, man, this guy, they're not big on Batman, but Gordon is. And whatever happened to get them to that point... Um I I like how well established that is. And Jeffrey Wright is just awesome. I mean, he he does so well in whatever the role is that that he plays. Uh, you know, I I loved him as Felix Leiter in in the Bat, in the the James Bond movies. He he gives a good commissioner Gordon as far as establishing that relationship, being the buffer between Batman and established law enforcement.
0: Yeah, I I agree. Where Gary Oldman's version was, you know, involved but you know, leading almost from the middle. He was like The captain on the Enterprise, who might go on the away missions on occasion, but generally he'll stay on the bridge. This guy is front and center. Getting involved in everything, even to the point where, you know, he knows that he needs to lay a line between Batman, but he's not gonna really lay the line. So they're pretending to have the fight in the cell and all right, here are the keys and this is what you need, and you're gonna take them from me right after you punch me in the face and you and then Batman, you know, I thought you were gonna pull your punch. I, I do not even well, know. Ow. I don't even know who you are, man. I don't even know who you are, <laughs> man. It was it was good. It was well done and well played and realistic. It yes. wasn't like yes. it was some, you know, totally this is a comic book, yes. But it was done in such a way that it was uh fantasy come to life and very believable and very well done. I like Jeffrey Wright and everything he's done, and he really this might be my favorite role of all that he has done. Wow. This might be my favorite commissioner Wait, hold on. Yeah, okay. This might be my favorite Commissioner okay. Gordon version. Yeah. Andy Circus as Alfred. Great job. Uh, between whether it's uh, Michael Go or Michael Kane uh, Michael or Jeremy Irons, they've all done a good job and they've all brought something good to the pay- uh, good to the character. Um, I like this version of him too. Uh, I don't know if he's my favorite, but he's, it's not for anything that Andy Circus did. And I like seeing Circus in real life. He's a great CGI performer. and when you do get to see him as himself, basically, is kind of rare. But it's, he does a fantastic job, and you forget what a good actor he is. But again, it also ties into maybe mom and dad Wayne weren't perfect, and so Alfred is kin to that. He's not guilty of it, but he's more aware of the truth, and he's not going to tell Bruce about it. Uh, until Bruce kind of figures out and confronts him with it, but he's also defensive about it. You don't understand; he's defensive, but he's also uh, protective, and he is a very different but a very good version of Alfred. It doesn't break the mold in any way, shape, or form. Nor should he. Um, it was just a
1: really good, very realistic parental role. Alfred's no placeholder anymore, like he was. No. I think more so in the late eighties and early nine and nineties versions of Batman. Michael Kane's characterization of him changed Alfred's role more in terms of making him more involved with Batman's work in the Wayne Manor sense. Jeremy Irons' version, I think, brought more of an edge to to Alfred, a little bit more that Andy Serkis carried on, I think here. You get you get a very cross Alfred like with the way that he talks with Bruce Wayne. That you get that parental side that he's trying to kind of be. Bruce Wayne's father, in some ways, and advisor, and they get the, you get the pushback from Bruce. You're not my father. I know that. You know he he gets that sense, but then with the way that he very strongly defends Thomas Wayne and his actions, and explaining the full story more to to Bruce Wayne, and and like saying he wasn't perfect, but you don't have the full story here either, and the way that he really digs in on that when he's laying in the hospital bed and explaining that. Um I, I thought he was gonna I thought maybe they were going to kill him with with how that all happened. Yeah. But they they provided the out. It was like, okay, there there is an out. By the way, stuff blowing up in people's faces doesn't have quite the effect anymore yeah. that you think. Whether it was the bomb on the district attorney that blew up in Batman's face himself or that bomb that blew up in front of Alfred doesn't seem to have the effect that you would think. Remember, Although he did get behind a the table. These so. are people that Can jump off a
0: ninety-story building and land superhero landing poles, and they're fine. It doesn't happen (laughs) like that in real life, kids. There's been
1: precedent established on that, I suppose. But yeah, loved Andy Serkis, loved him as Alfred. He
0: he he leads from the back, pushing you forward. You know where you had Alfred uh, version, Michael Caine's version, leading from the front here, Master Wayne. And you had uh, Jeremy Irons was almost like a lovable employee that's, you know, the one that builds and repairs the Batmobile and all the gadgets, and he's the guy. He was almost like the buddy who was the fathery figure but also was very much hip-deep involved in this. Uh, They were all kind of different in their own way, but this was a very good addition. As long as Alfred is part of the crew and he kind of grabs a paddle and moves things forward more or less, however they do it, will work. And this definitely works. It served a point. Favorite scene or favorite part from the movie, Dave? I think I'll tell you one of the things I like overall, and then I'll get a little more macro with, or micro with you. I like that in a lot of Batman movies, it is a bunch of action sequences that get strung together by a plot. Uh, the Dark Knight trilogy probably gets the furthest away from that, where it's actually a story that works in action scenes. This is of that lineage, so it's not about action scenes. In fact, there's you know a few of them, but some of them are just punchy, punchy, kicky, kicky. This is about a smart guy and people around him trying to figure things out. Who can punch and kick, but that's not what it's about. The biggest action sequence in the whole thing is probably the Batmobile chase. And that might be my favorite oh, you know, sequence from man. the movie. It was very well done. It was very well shot. Um, it was not shaky, I cam. got you! Yeah. I got you! And then nope. you see this thing come bursting out of the flames, and it looks not so much like a car as much as a monster. And how about the look on
1: Penguin's face when that happens? Yeah, <laughs> little
0: moments like that make something great. It makes something really good into something really great and memorable, and that was it for me. Uh, I, then, I like that chase.
1: To build off of that, you get the the scene in the trailer that caps the trailer. I know you didn't watch it, but it caps the I tra- trailer. Okay, you, so you did, but you watched it once. I right?
0: watched the first trailer, and then I stopped watching. I have since
1: seen yeah. it. Now that I've seen it, and I know the spoilers. I don't care anymore, so but, I'll go back and watch stuff. I loved how they took that conclusion to the trailer, and they kept that in the movie because it's so cool with Penguin laying upside down, and from his perspective, here comes the Batman walking toward him And the music building in the background just was great. A
0: good segue here is to the soundtrack.
1: Yeah, let's let's quickly talk about that before I get to my favorite part of the movie because my favorite part. Oh, I'm sorry, please has, do your favorite part, yes. Alright, well I'll I'll describe it because I yeah, you have to talk about the music with it too. My favorite part of the movie is right after Riddler has killed the mayor and then you it cuts to black and then you get your first chance to see Batman slash Bruce Wayne, but you hear him and he sets the scene. It's Four October 31st, steps. it's Halloween night. The music's building. He's like, the element is there. And that whole prologue scene is amazing. That's when I knew this is going to be a fantastic movie. That's one of those scenes that you kind of want to go back and you want to watch it with fresh eyes and ears all over again. Because that's when I knew this is going to be a Batman movie unlike any other. And the music that they use in there, it's just spectacular. You see Gotham on Halloween night, the rain pouring down, criminals are out doing all kinds of of terrible stuff. And then they all look to the shadows uh, that are around them, whether they're spray painting the outside of Gotham Bank or City Hall, or it's a guy robbing a store, or it's a group of guys who are getting ready to to jump this poor soul getting off a subway. They all look to the shadows. And as Bruce Wayne is talking amidst it all with the voiceover, saying, I am the shadows. Stop. And the music just keeps Stop. building, and then the string Stop. that string part and they're they all look up then at the signal and they go, He's gotta be out here. But then he's not. He's not in the shadows around that onion head guy. He's not in the shadows around those guys who are outside of that bank spray painting or outside of City Hall spray painting. He's in the shadows of the subway though, and that's where he finally appears. But that whole scene was just stunning. It, it was so good, and the music played such a big role in it. I loved the chase scene. I thought that was awesome. So good. Um, I thought the, the way they signed it off with Batman and Catwoman was really... It packed a nice emotional punch to the movie, and again, the music there was terrific. Um, but that ending, that ending was... Rather, that that start to the movie... Um, and that establishment of this Batman, this Bruce Wayne, I thought was just spectacular. The music. Michael Giancino's uh, score was phenomenal. I thought the theme, like if you listen to the full theme where they have that that majestic part that you hear at the end of the movie. And yet it's also sad in some ways too. There's a sad twinge in there as well. But then also that that all you need sometimes are just two notes and you can have a phenomenal theme and that's what that's what we got with that theme it is so good and the way that it builds it feels like a batman theme it feels like what you get some with some of the 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 animated side of of batman it it is so good he captured that sound brilliantly um catwoman's sound that that the way they use it the strings like there, cats meow. yeah, that man, they the sound that he captured for this movie was just awesome. There's a story when John Williams gave
0: Spielberg the very first sounds of what the shark was going to be in Jaws, he played it on the piano, and Spielberg thought he was kidding, right? This takes right. a page from that. Dun, 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 dun. Duh, and that's all it is. Dun, but it's dun, it's dun, menacing dun, in a way. Dun, Michael Giacchino dun, is one of dun, my dun. more favorite recent composers. And he started with Spielberg doing video game soundtracks. If you guys go back to the Medal of Honor video game franchise... I mean, it's like a movie soundtrack. It was where I first discovered him, and he was marvelous. It's one of the few video games I ever bought the soundtrack to, and it's marvelous. He has since done Star Trek and some Star Wars movies, a lot of J.J. Abrams stuff. Um, they kind of He's got his little crew, and Giacchino's part of that, so TV and big screen. He can do the cinematic classic style. He can also do the more kind of minimalistic uh, Hans Zimmer style. And I've talked about before. For Hans Zimmer? Yes. Although he,
1: he, I would say he's more bombastic.
0: He's not so bombastic. He's almost like artificial instruments. Well, Zimmer. not, Not, I'm talking Zimmer. Yeah. Zimmer is, um, I have nothing bad to say about Zimmer, but you know, The Dark Knight. It was almost like a techno soundtrack in a way, <laughs> with a foghorn in the background. And I like what it, how it works. I like what he did with the Joker, where it's almost these off kilter strings, oh, and it man. makes you feel. Yeah, it works, but. It is so non-traditional, which is fine. That I agree with, yes. Which is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. As long as it works for what you're doing, it works fine. And he also, Hans Zimmer had done the Lion King soundtrack, so it's not like he can't do it. But he, in the recent years, he's kind of gotten away from traditional and gotten something else. More of, the elect- more of the electronic
1: sound. Yeah. yeah. And I and I like Hans Zimmer a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not taking anything away from Zimmer, but it's probably, of all the Batman themes, probably my least favorite. It works, but...
1: There are others who agree with you on that about about what he do, what yeah. he did with it. But Giacchino, though he, he he's captured... a musical chameleon, oh man, he
0: can do all of it. He has done some great traditional type stuff. He's done some, this would almost be called an experimental version, but it works. And some of that traditional, he works into it, which is, I think, the only thing missing in the Hans Zimmer version. If it brought in a little more traditional, bringing a little more warmth at those moments where it needed to, it would have worked better. And he certainly can, he just didn't. Uh, Giacchino is one of those guys, I think he's like the next John Williams. I think he can do anything and everything. I think he's going to be, you know, 30, 40 years from now, he'll be getting the lifetime achievement Oscar or Grammy or whatever. He's going to be the new John Williams.
1: I would I would want to put this score up for an Oscar next year. Yeah. Because it I mean it's that good. It's just the sound is Spectacular that he gets with this movie. Even just the Batman theme, if you think about it and you
0: play it with different elements where it's not the low keys of the piano, it's the sound of dread every time you get to a sick dun 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 dun. It's that dun 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 da It's what it is. Dun, 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 dun. dun. Yeah. During the chase,
1: the way that it gets built in like that. All all it is
0: is two notes, three of the same, and then you drop down one. And if you noticed the way Batman with all the footsteps, it's the same thing. Walk, 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 walk. Step, 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 step. step. It works. It's all put together. It is the best Batman soundtrack I've heard to date. Uh, It really. I would completely agree. It brings something new but it has also got a lot of classical Hollywood musical score to it. I've missed a lot of that because a lot of scores have gotten away from that. It's almost like when John Williams did the big bombastic version of Star Wars in the seventies, where everything prior to that for a decade had been minimalistic. Now we've got it bursting back from the seams with Michael Giacchino a plus.
1: Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And that it's those, it's those bigger moments that make the emotional parts of the soundtrack really work too. Like, the ending, the ending piece that's in there when Batman and Catwoman part ways is sweet. It's, and it's titled "All's Well That Ends Farewell," is what it's called, and they have a part of that in as part of Batman's main theme overall. And it really it leaves you with this kind of triumphant feel, but also a feeling of melancholy yeah. too. And I thought it hit a great note on that because you get that feeling of the work had been accomplished. And yet also there's a feeling of loss at the end too because they're going their separate ways. They are not totally on the same page with each other, Batman and Catwoman. But there's also this feeling of longing. That's in there as well. And I I thought it was a great way to end the movie with that piece there. So So let's sum it up. The music nailed it.
0: Yeah. So summing it up, the movie overall is one of those that you can tell when I want to see a movie because I don't want to learn much about it. I really do want to go into a degree of ignorant. I do want to see the teaser trailer and get a feel for what we're talking about. And my superpower, like I said, can tell you by watching the teaser or the trailer, whether it's any good. And the first one we saw was when they had only made, they'd only filmed half of it. They had the COVID shutdown, by all accounts. This was a bad movie making experience as far as how many times it got started and stopped and started and stopped. And in the middle of a pandemic and It was a nightmare. But But they had the vision in mind. Yeah, you don't see any of that coming out on the final product. It just works. And the first teaser was spectacular. I never wanted to see a Batman movie so much, honestly, uh, as I did this one. And so going into it ignorant, it worked. I loved it. I couldn't think of anything I would say. If
1: only they had, no, they really did a heck of a good job. Yeah, I was not overly excited about this movie. When I saw the teaser came out, I was like, who cares? It was during COVID. I was like, I've only got a quarter of it done. I'm I'm not, even when the main trailer came out, I was still very, ah, very iffy on it. I was like, I'll go see it. I I was planning to go see it all along, but I was like, I'm not really excited about this movie because The Dark Knight is my second all-time favorite movie. Like that's how much esteem I hold that movie in. I think it's the best superhero movie ever made. I, I think I I hold that movie in such high regard and really enjoyed the Batman the Dark Knight trilogy too. So I was like, we just had a Joker movie. We just had Batfleck, you know. I'm not big on Batman because uh, right now because I, I don't think this is really going to approach the pinnacle of my favorite movie, of my favorite Batman movie, The Dark Knight and one of my favorite movies. But but then I watched the main trailer again about a month before the movie came out. And the music hit me differently. That ending scene of Batman walking toward the penguin hit me differently after that car chase. Those different elements hit me differently. And I suddenly was like, I can't wait to see this movie. I I absolutely can't wait to see this movie. And it paid off so well. There's not a lot I don't like about the movie. Is it a little long? it's a it's a little it's three long hours long but, but it doesn't it, feel it it doesn't feel that way and i'm okay with a longer movie some people are just can't handle a longer movie these days i i didn't mind it at all was the riddler maybe a little over the top sometimes with his outbursts yeah maybe a little bit but uh, like not such not is too life. much here here's one thing one thing and I saw this, it, it came up, it just got released like through a couple of Easter eggs, and like if you do this, you get access to it, but then it got fully released. There was a deleted scene that I kind of wished got put in the movie. It was three hours long, they had to cut something. Yeah, sure. they did. <laughs> it was a scene where Batman comes to Arkham and visits the Joker, and he brings a few things with him um a few elements with him of the case and asks the Joker about them.
0: Oh, kinda of like visiting Hannibal Lecter to try to yes. figure okay.
1: where there's a relationship that's already been established between these two. And Interesting Joker Didn't know start Joker starts out, maybe it seems like you might be able to get a little bit of something out of him or you may be able to get his help a little bit. And you never get a clear picture of him either. All you see is the back of his head, his hands, the guy is just mangled. He's a mangled mess of an individual. And Joker eventually turns it into maybe you are thinking this. Maybe maybe and he starts prodding at Batman with it, un- unpacking some of Batman's um, motivations behind taking this case so seriously and doing all of this, and to the point where Batman's like. This is over. And and Joker is like, Ha, I got you on it. So Is this the character at the end of the movie talking to yes, the Riddler? Barry or the Key Owens, unseen okay. character. Yeah. I,
0: I almost got a vibe of John Travolta. I was like, I don't know who that is, and I haven't had a chance to look it up yet. Right, but I was yeah. like, yeah, it kind of gets that vibe. It I was, know we got to wrap up here yeah, shortly, but it was good. I liked it a lot. I can't think of anything I would have changed. I understand that, that would have been a cool element to put in there, but I think it was so chock full something's got to go. We yeah. already got a three-hour movie. If we cut it out, that's probably right there. I don't know what it would be in there, but hey, when it comes out on DVD, if that's still a thing, you can always watch that
1: version. Yeah. So anyway, maybe maybe the only other thing is maybe that Joker part felt a little bit forced in at the end, but if they're not planning on having him in the next one, I, I'm not totally sold on that. But all in all, though, it's, it's a tremendous, tremendous movie, and if you like Batman, the character... The comics, the animated films, the movies—like we talked about in the last episode—it's a must-see. We very much recommend it. But if you've got kids that are just dying
0: to go see the new Batman movie, as a parent, take you know precaution. What, you know what your parent, what your kids can and can't handle. Uh, if they don't like the dark, intense, you know, crime drama type stuff, no. If they don't like horror elements, no. Uh, when they get a little older, absolutely. Have movie night at the house. They'll love it then, but they might have nightmares for a while if you show them when they're, before they're
1: ready. But other than that, absolutely highly recommend it. It's making my all-time favorite movie list. I'm just not sure where <laughs> as of yet, but it's definitely going to be on there. It was good. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. Thanks for joining us for our review of The Batman, finishing our, our two-part Batman discussion here. I can't wait to see what's next. That's that's the other there part will of be it. Follow up. Yeah, cannot wait to see what's next after what they've established here with this one. So, until next time, I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. Vengeance. and we will see you at the movies.